This is Coffee with Cascade, a podcast by Oregonians for Oregonians on issues that matter. Hosted by Cascade Policy Institute. Welcome to City Club of Eugene's October 1st, 2021 program. Oregon's Excess Revenue, Refund or Reinvest? This is the fourth program for our 2021-22 programming year. I'm Kitty Piercy and I'm the City Club President. Sponsor for the City Club is provided by our members and sponsors. You can become a member of the City Club at our website, cityclubofugene.org. Our programs are always available on your, our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. We also have a po- podcast available and programs are broadcast on public radio station KLCC 89.7 on Monday nights at 7. We have both business and in-kind sponsors, including our diamond sponsors, Kaiser Permanente, University of Oregon, Peace Health, and Lane Community College as well as generous support from the city of Eugene and from Lane County. In today's program, we welcome Eric Fruits, Cascade Policy Institute, and Daniel Hauser, Oregon Center for Public Policy. Biographical information on our speakers is available on our website, cityclubofeugene.org. I'd like to thank Mary Layton for coordinating today's program. Oregon's excess revenue refund or reinvest. In Oregon, when the actual tax revenue for a biennium exceeds the forecasted revenue by 2% or more, individual and corporate taxpayers get a rebate, which we call a kicker. The kicker policy was adopted by voters first in 1980, and then in 2000, it was placed in the state constitution. In 2012, after a few years of experience with the kicker, giving voters a chance to see its impact on state programs, a change was made. Now individual taxpayers get a check proportional to their tax liability, but corporate kicker rebates are deposited into the state's general fund and earmarked for K through 12 education. In this program, two experts in tax policies and state economics will describe very different views of how well the kicker works and what it promotes or impedes in our community life. It's it's an important discussion. Our format today includes a question and answer period with City Club members via Zoom. Thank you to the City Club of Eugene, President Piercy, Mary, Ralph, and the City Club Board for their help setting this up. While this might not be true for everyone listening, I absolutely love talking about tax policy in the kicker, and I suspect Eric and I will have a spirited discussion. My name is Daniel Hauser, and I serve as the Director of Strategic Policy Projects at the Oregon Center for Public Policy. The center is a nonprofit research organization focused on lifting the economic well-being of all Oregonians, and the kicker could potentially be a really significant tool to improve economic security. If you remember anything from my comments, I hope it's these three facts. First, the kicker is broken. Second, the kicker currently rewards the richest Oregonians and does little to address Oregon's greatest needs. And third, we put the kicker into the Constitution, and we can come together and chart a better path for our state. We also need to keep in mind the context that surrounds the newest kicker. Our state and our neighbors face huge challenges. The climate's changing, leaving communities in flames, breaking temperature records, and Oregon's most underserved residents are particularly vulnerable. 
Many Oregonians are unable to afford housing, childcare, or even their next meal. The Oregon Department of Education found more than 21,000 Oregon students were homeless or faced housing insecurity, including more than 700 in the Eugene School District and nearly 500 in Springfield. A recent census survey estimated that a quarter of Oregonians have difficulty covering their usual household expenses. More than 100,000 Oregonians are behind on rent and nearly 200,000 Oregonians don't consistently have enough to eat. Meanwhile, the rich keep getting richer with income inequality nearing record highs every year in Oregon. In 2019, the last year that I have data for, Oregon's richest 1% earned significantly more than the entire bottom half of Oregonians combined. And it wasn't even close. The gap was by more than a billion dollars. The top out earned the bottom half of Oregonians. And since the pandemic struck, our nation's billionaires have added more than a trillion dollars in wealth. Clearly, the yawning divide between those who are struggling and the richest continues to grow. And the kicker could be part of the solution, but instead it only makes it worse. And the kicker asks the impossible of our state economists. To reach a state general for fund forecast, they must consider and guess what the global economy, the national economy, and Oregon's own sliver of it will do in two years. Then they need to translate that into precise estimates of how much wages each Oregonian will earn, how much profits businesses will claim, how many people will sell their homes, stocks, or other assets, and how, you know, how much the value is of those, of those homes by then, and how many rich people will die and, and end up owing Oregon's estate tax and more. Of course, they'll also need to be able to predict the exact timing of the next global pandemic too. And if after all of that, they miss by just 2.1%, the entire 2.1% is sent back to taxpayers in the kicker. And it's not just the 0.1% they were over by. It's a broken, impossible task that we ask the state economists to do every two years. And they haven't been able to do it for the past three budgets. And they've missed most of the time since 1980. And to be clear, they do better than I or almost anyone could. The kicker is just a completely broken policy. And the impossibility of the kicker isn't the only fatal flaw. What we do with the billions of dollars that get kicked back is also fundamentally broken. Instead of routing that big sum to important needs, such as affordable housing or childcare or rebuilding communities that have burnt down, we send it back out to Oregonians. <clears throat> now, this is an opportunity, right? We could send it out to the people in our communities who are in the greatest need, such as folks living in poverty, but that's not what we do. Instead, we send out a token amount, it's expected to be about $30 next year, to the lowest income one in five Oregonians. What do we do with the remaining hundreds of millions of dollars? We route them disproportionately to the richest Oregonians. The state economists estimated that the average member of the top 1%, these are folks who earn more than $440,000 in a single year, will get an average kicker of nearly $17,000. That's more than a quarter of Oregonians earn in the entire year. Even worse, some of the very richest Oregonians will see kickers topping $100,000, which is more than 80% of Oregonians earn in an entire year. The way the kicker distributes these impossible dollars is broken too. It rewards those with the very most more than those with the least. Now, the fact the kicker is impossible and inequitable doesn't mean it can't be fixed. We put the kicker into the constitution and we can fix it. Well, I'd be happy for us to just cut the kicker out. There are plenty of other options for us to consider. We could put the kicker into the state's rainy day fund or education stability fund to better prepare Oregon for deep recessions like we faced just a little over a decade ago. We can invest it to prepare our communities for the impacts of climate change or the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake. We could spend it in our communities, invest it now on important needs 
like helping first-time home buyers access affordable homes or help you know get folks in stable housing and up off the streets. We could make a dramatic investment in our childcare systems. We could still kick the kicker out to Oregonians, but change how much each person receives. Perhaps everyone gets the same kicker amount rather than the rich getting the largest. Or maybe we flip it, right? And the rich get the smallest and low-income families get the biggest kicker. There are just so many better ways we could spend $1.9 billion to address Oregon's needs. It's been two decades since we put the kicker into the Constitution. It's time for Oregonians to come together and decide if there's a better and more equitable path for our communities. With that, I'll remind you of the three things I suggested you remember at the onset. Number one, the kicker's broken. Number two, the kicker flows to the richest more than those in the greatest need. And number three, we can come together and we can fix the kicker. Now you'll hear from Eric Fruits, who I suspect might not agree with everything I said, but I'll let him tell you. Eric? Thank you, Daniel. Daniel, I'm uh, Eric Fruits, uh, Vice President of Research at Cascade Policy Institute. We are Oregon's free market public policy research institute. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit, and we don't solicit or accept any money from any government agency. Uh, I, we are recording this on a Tuesday and it is pouring rain. It's a pretty dreary day. So on a dreary day like this, you just kind of have to step back and admire a thing of beauty. And the kicker happens to be a true thing of beauty. And there's three big benefits to the kicker. One is it imposes fiscal discipline on the legislature. The second is that it creates incentives to accurately forecast revenues. And three is it recognizes that the money you earn belongs to you and not the government. Now left on its own, without any restrictions, our Oregon legislature will spend every dollar it can extract from Oregon citizens and businesses. And if that's not enough, it'll raise taxes to spend even more. Just look at this last legislative session. It was a spending blowout. They had so much money that they literally did not know what to do with it. House Bill 5006 handed out more than $200 million to legislators to fund their own pet causes with almost zero legislative scrutiny. They literally didn't know how to spend the money, so they just handed it out. In Oregon, our legislative budgets are not made on the basis of what we need or what is necessary. The way the budget process works in Oregon is that the bureaucrats start with what they call the current service laws current service level based on, on the previous budget. From there, then they expand existing programs and add new programs to inflate the budget. This creates a, tach, a tax ratchet. You add and expand programs in good times. Then, when the bad times hit, you recast these programs as vital services and you raise taxes to fund those. When the good times return, somehow the taxes stay with us. You repeat this ratchet effect over a few decades and the taxes keep going up and up and up. This method over the last 10 years has produced budgets that have increased at three times the rate of inflation and double the rate of inflation plus population growth. This could all be worse if it weren't for the kicker. The kicker was adopted because Oregonians in the late 1970s faced the same problems we face today. While they didn't have a pandemic, they had double digit inflation and high unemployment. They also faced a state government with an unending appetite for more money. Put simply, their earnings couldn't keep up with their tax bills, just like our earnings can't keep up with ours. And from there, the kicker was born. 
First, it was passed by the legislature. It was so popular that it was approved by voters by more than 90%. Then they liked it so much that they voted in favor of it again to enshrine it in the state constitution by more than 60% of the vote. Our legislator's budget is based on a forecast of revenues prepared by economists employed by the state. The legislator, like legislature then takes that forecast revenues and tries to budget around that. The kicker requires that once the legislature adopts a budget, any money collected from the income taxes beyond what's needed in that 2% is then returned to taxpayers. It's a sensible protection and one of the few disciplines we had to mitigate against the spend everything philosophy that afflicts politicians on both sides of the aisle. It truly is a thing of beauty. It also creates an incentive for our state's economists to create accurate forecasts. On the one hand, if they project that the state's gonna bring in too much money, in other words, they overinflate how much money will be brought in, then the legislators will come in and read them the riot act. Legislators hate to be given bad information, especially if that information says that they're going to bring in more money than they actually do. And if you see times where the state economists have overinflated how much the state will bring in, the legislators go ballistic. They take those economists to the woodshed. On the other end, one way you could think, well, gee, the economists could really make their lives easier if they always lowball the estimate. Well, the problem with lowballing the estimate is that will bring in the kicker. And the only thing that legislators hate more than not having enough money is having to pay out a kicker. These two tensions create a huge incentive for the state's economists to try as hard as they can to get it right. Now, I'm an economist myself, and so I know, and I've done forecasts, and forecasting is hard, and it's very hard to get it right. But when you have an incentive to try to get it right, you will do what you can to get it right. The other thing that you have to recognize is that our, in, our income taxes are based on our income. Our income belongs to us, and the government must get permission to spend more than they need. It's basic economic justice, and the kicker embodies that economic justice. It says that if you earn a windfall, or if you are making more money because you're working overtime or taking on a second job, and that helps goose your own income as well as the state's income, the state can't just swoop in and say, oh, gee, thanks, I'll take some of that too. If the state wants to spend more money than they have budgeted originally, then they have to ask you for that money. That to me is true economic justice. Daniel brought up some points. One was in saying that we could uh, establish a rainy day fund. We did try that. We tried a rainy day fund with the kicker money. And it turns out that the legislators, uh, they passed it, but it turns out that the people of all the, the voters actually didn't like it because they passed a, a, a ballot measure that took that money for the rainy day fund and instead put it into the general fund to be earmarked for education. I personally am a big fan of rainy day funds, but the legislature can always create a rainy day fund anytime it wants to using the money it is raised. It doesn't need to rely on a kicker or any sort of windfall to generate that, that rainy day fund. Uh, there's this, also this issue where we keep focusing on the 1%. It's easy to hate the 1%. Why? Well, one, they're rich. And the other is they're 1%. When 99% of the population turns against the 1%, that 1% can be pretty lonely. It, the, the, the top line number are saying that the top 1% may get a, a, a kicker refund of about $17,000. That's an eye-popping number. 
But you have to remember that top 1% on average is paying about $90,000 a year in income taxes to the state of Oregon. $90,000, roughly double what the median family income is for the state. There is some fundamental sense of economic justice that says that the people who pay more in taxes should get a larger refund on their taxes. Now, we could quibble about how that money is handed out. Maybe the top 1% should, uh, shouldn't get a bigger refund. Maybe we should equalize it. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it, but to me, that's not what's important. What's really important about the kicker is the discipline it imposes on our legislators to make sure that they spend only the money that they have budgeted and don't use any windfalls to ratchet up spending and put us on the hook for more taxes when the economy turns down. I'm sure Daniel has a response, and so I will pass it back to Daniel Hauser. Thanks, Eric. So one piece of context that I think I failed to mention before was when we look at Oregon's tax system, right? When we look really across the board at our personal income tax, sure, but also our taxes on property, on tobacco, gas taxes, all the whole suite of state and local taxes. What, what analysts nationally have found when looking at Oregon is that Oregonians who are the very poorest, the bottom one in five Oregonians, pay a larger share of their income than the richest 1% or richest 20% pay in their income as, as a share of their income in taxes in Oregon, right? So when we really hone in and look at just the kicker, just this narrow policy, and we think about, oh, the you know, top 1% are paying so much. If what we're looking for is a tax system that really embodies economic justice, we should be looking at one where the lowest income Oregonians are paying a smaller share of their income than the rich, not a larger share. And when we then think about the kicker, I mean, we realize you know, and I appreciate, Eric, your, your openness to considering other alternatives uh, to the current distribution. I think that, you know, that being one of my main points that we need to come together and have a conversation about that, right? And figure out what is it that we think will do a better job of advancing Oregonians' interests. And, but what we have right now is terribly designed. I mean, it's just an incredibly ineffective means of actually helping the families struggling to survive. So as I mentioned before, some Oregonians have been a $100,000 kicker or more these are the richest Oregonians by rule, you know, as Eric explained, and they're going to be able to use that money for, for really important things like perhaps, you know, buying a, a third home in, um, you know, Hawaii, or perhaps, um, you know, they'll be able to do some really wonderful things uh, for the local economy by buying a, you know, third Tesla. Um, but our, our state and our neighbors face huge challenges, right? People are struggling to survive and we should not have a policy on the books that's routing so much money to those who, who really don't need it. So the bottom struggles to survive, the top buys new toys or makes more on the stock market and Oregon's answer is just to send bigger checks to the rich and the poor. And, and you know, I, I don't tend to believe that that's a, a true economic justice to borrow your term. I think there's a solution to this though. We can achieve true economic justice, right? Let's fix the kicker, right? We can debate the right solution. Uh, we can, you know, talk about the, the many, many different ways we can do a better job but it's time to turn this broken tax break into a force for good, right? Imagine what a difference we could do with $1.9 billion in our communities. And Eric, I, I suspect that prompted additional uh, thoughts from you, so I'll kick it back to you. Of course, of course. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Uh, this is Eric Fruits again. You know, one of the things that I find troubling uh, as a free market economist is this idea that someone or another, I or Daniel or anyone else has a much better idea of how someone should spend their money, that somehow or another buying a Tesla is a terrible waste of money. It's such a terrible waste of money, in fact, that the state legislature gives you a tax credit to buy one. 
you know, I don't want to judge how someone spends their money. If they want to put their money in the stock market, that should be applauded because that isn't just gambling. That is investing. That is making investment in yourself and in the, the, the broader economy. I don't want to judge people for how they use their kicker. And the thing is, if you don't like getting your kicker, you can do something else with it. You can donate it to charity. In fact, we had a, a, a process before where you could sign over your kicker to the state school fund. Last time I checked, there was a grand total of less than $500,000 in that account. Even the people who say that they are so generous with their kicker money turn out to be not so generous after all. Again, I don't want to get in a position where I have to judge how someone else is using their money or spending their money. And I think it's inappropriate and just downright wrong to judge someone on how they use the resources that they earned. And so I think now it's time to turn it over to Mary Layton, who's going to open up the floor for questions. So this is Mary Layton. I'm the program coordinator. And we start now with the questions from the audience. Our speakers, you will remember, are Daniel Hauser from the Oregon Center for Public Policy and Eric Fruits from the Cascade Policy Institute. Our first questioner is a City Club board member, Andrew Kelk. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Eric and Daniel. Uh, recently, I launched an initiative called Kicker for Good. You can check it out at kickerforgood.com plug, shameless plug, uh, calling out Oregonians to donate all or a portion of their kicker rebate to, to charities in their communities. And one motivation being that because the kicker is part of the state constitution, any reform, if it does happen, will take years and that uh, we can't wait for challenges confronting our neighbors and friends. Uh, and I wondered whether you thought in this vein, whether there's benefit to giving individuals the ability to more directly allocate a portion of state resources to specific groups, uh, as has been done in participatory budgeting frameworks, both here in Oregon, uh, across the country, and even around the world. Uh, I appreciate your your wisdom, and thank you again. Andrew, I'm happy to go first, and uh, I'll let Eric clean up for me. So I think, well, I'm really glad to hear, right, that you're encouraging Oregonians to donate their kickers to worthy nonprofits. I think that's fabulous. I really hope that people are able to look at the needs in their communities and send their kicker uh, to those in the greatest need. So I, I certainly wish the best on that for, but I think there's some things, right? Like fighting wildfires, building climate resilience, addressing poverty and housing insecurity. Uh, they can't be left to a hope that the most well-off will contribute their kicker to charity, right? I think we have collective community-wide problems and we need collective responses. And we need to deal with these as a state, right? I mean, imagine what good we could have done if we took the last few kickers and the upcoming kicker, as I mentioned before, about four and a half billion dollars in total and invested in preparing our communities and forests to be more resilient to wildfires, right? Imagine what an immense difference for generations to come that that would have. And instead, well, some rich folk are even richer and the poorest got an extra 30 bucks, you know, coming up soon, which is, you know, great. Um, I'm not going to turn down 30 bucks. But to your point and your question more so about participatory budgeting, I mean, I one of the challenges I've seen in the state budgeting process today is that the most politically attractive um, places for the legislature to spend their money, get the money, right? That the places that folks want to see investment to get investment. There's a reason that we had a student success act that put a billion dollars a year into, into education um, because people want to fund our schools, right? But my concern is that it's the areas of our economy and of our society that are perhaps not as politically attractive, right? It, 
you know, maybe it's seniors that are on disability and are struggling to survive. You know, maybe it's uh, folks that are, you know, recovering and, and rehabilitating after getting out of prison. There are areas in our communities and in our economy that we need to invest to, to help all of us have a great and, and thriving future. And I, I worry if we rely on um, a popularity test or we rely on folks donating to, to causes um, that we might not end up with the community and society that we want. Thanks, Daniel. I, I, this is Eric Fruits again. I, I, I'm in a very awkward position of agreeing with Daniel on almost everything he said. Uh, so I hope I, I won't be too short here in my response. You know, I think that there is, a, I think the, the, the give back for, for good on the kicker is a great idea. I think that the idea that the kicker is your money as a taxpayer, it belongs to you and you should do what you want with it. And I find nothing wrong with someone deciding that they want to donate that to a, a charitable cause. Um, on the budgeting side of it, I think Daniel's right. You know, if you look at the state budget, and I, as I was complaining earlier on, that the state budget has grown way faster than inflation and population growth. But if I showed you the state budget and how much or what share was being spent in different categories, I bet you that probably 95% of the people I show it to would say, yeah, that sounds right. It makes sense. That looks like a pretty fair allocation with a big chunk towards education, a big chunk to human services, and then another big chunk, but a lot smaller, to, uh, to transportation. Uh, you know, people would say that's that seems right. It's where you get down in the details of, you know, how are we actually spending that education money? And I think you're 100% right, Daniel, that there are some really popular uh programs if you say you're gonna uh put money towards education uh you're gonna get uh you're gonna get a a yes on it years ago probably 10-15 years ago i made a joke that we should have a ballot initiative called smoke sell marijuana for our kids education well guess what we've got a program where we sell marijuana for our kids education if it weren't for that education component it may not have passed and so you have these these programs that win the beauty contest and others that don't like wildfire uh, prevention and, um, and homelessness and uh, substance abuse disorder. And that's where, you know, I, I keep being told by politicians, a budget is a moral document. Well, guess what? It is a moral document. It's a moral document where you are recognizing trade-offs. And I think what happens is we don't have legislators that are prepared to make trade-offs. They want to pretend that there are no trade-offs, that their money is endless, that the money tree is always dropping leaves, and that we could do everything we want. And so the fact that the legislature won't spend money on some of the things that Daniel pointed out that he thinks are important just demonstrates that they don't think it's important. And we elected them to make those decisions, and it's up to them to make the decisions that reflect what we want, and it's up to us to throw them out if they don't. Thank you. Yeah, I have a, a question. Um, this is Margaret Halleck, and I'm a member of the City Club. But formerly, I was a state revenue forecaster in the part, Department of Management and Budget. And I served under uh, Governor Atia in the early 80s when it was just one recession after another. And I just want to elaborate a little bit on Dan, Daniel's point that it is impossible, the kicker is an impossible goal that we would overestimate because the the economy was in free fall due to the uh, 1981 recession and we had special session after special session to cut the budget and then when 
the when we hit bottom and then started going up again, you're asking economists to precisely nail that moment that revenues will start increasing again, or there will inevitably be a forecast of too much revenue. And my point, I guess, is that, um, Eric, you said that there was a tax ratchet. There's actually a revenue ratchet because if after each recession, there's going to be a kicker as soon as the economy starts to improve. And that kicker comes just, and you're refunding money just at the time when the economy needs more investment because it's been through a recession. And it's, uh, it's the, it's the real needs of the economy that should drive the budget, not forecasting. So what the kicker does is it, you know, it, it, has, it has the legislature always like uh, confined when the real needs of the economy are increasing and you're giving that money back. And so I guess I'm really with Daniel that there is, um, there are some, always some very concrete needs when revenues are increasing that should be used for investments. And, and now they're used as tax rebates, essentially. And um, I just wonder, you know, your, about your point, uh, Eric, I guess, and to make this into a question of um, comparing the actual needs of the economy to the, to the, to the, um, to the forecast. Well, thank you, Margaret. This is Eric Fruits again. Uh, I have to really admire you for undertaking that effort of trying to forecast a budget during a recession and recovery. Uh, you've really gone up in my estimation. Good job. Uh, you know, but the thing is about the kicker, what's the old uh, saying about democracy? It's the worst of all systems, except for all the others. You know, the kicker may be one of the worst of all policies, except for all the others. You know, the problem is, I think what we're confusing here is the ideal uh, versus the actual. It, it's what some have called the, the nirvana fallacy, that uh, we, we, we think of this place uh, called nirvana that we're trying to reach, and if we, everything compared to that is wrong. And, and I think one way that we're trying to reach nirvana is we're saying, oh, in a perfect world, we would have these budgets and we would have a rainy day fund and we accumulate the rainy day fund in good times and draw it down in bad times. The thing is, when you look at the reality, it just doesn't really happen. And it has, it's not just Oregon, it's everywhere. It's in our nature. My, my neighbors have had their cats munched by a pack of coyotes. I can't stop the coyotes from munching the cats because that's in their nature. But I can stop them from munching the cats by keeping my cat inside. You can't change the politician's nature to spend every dollar they have and try to raise taxes when they can, but you can protect yourself by having something like the kicker that limits their ability to munch on your cat tax. I have a follow-up follow It's on a different topic though. So uh, Daniel, you said that there's, we have the opportunity to come together uh, and discuss this. So are you talking about, could you elaborate on what you mean by that, you know, kind of what process you have in mind and if the Oregon Center on Public Policy is doing any organizing around a discussion of changing the kicker or a constitutional amendment? I mean, what is it that you are uh, proposing there? Thank you, Margaret, for that question. And, <clears throat> and this is Daniel Hauser again, with the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I think what we need is to embark on that campaign 
right? We need to embark on those conversations across the state where we really start with and understand what our values are. You know, one of the things Eric mentioned is, you know, this, this nirvana um, that, that certainly seems better than our current state. And I think that we can strive towards that. We should strive towards that. We should continue to be pushing ourselves to think about what a better and a more equitable community looks like, right? Um, when we drive past folks that are, you know, standing on street corners in the rain asking for pennies, like we should not necessarily be asking ourselves, you know, uh, uh, should I give them this $3, but why are they there, right? What are the structures in our economy and our society that are leaving so many Oregonians in such challenging and vulnerable states? And we should ask ourselves, what can we do about it? And, and when we have a policy like the kicker and, you know, uh, I think, Eric, we might have slightly different definitions of worst um, and, and best with the, the uh, metaphor you were using. But I think, you know, to me, there are countless better versions, right, that there are so many better ways we can use the kicker to address our community's needs. And almost everyone, I'm sure everyone on here has a, has a different way they'd rather spend the kicker that they think would be even better than what we have now. So I think we, we don't lack for solutions. We lack for consensus, right? I think coming together as Oregonians, I, agreeing on the values we want to guide the reform of the kicker, and then enacting a constitutional amendment campaign, right? It's a constitutional provision. We have to go to the voters and have a, a statewide conversation about what we want and what we don't want. And, you know, the Oregon Center for Public Policy is a research organization. Um, I'm happy to supply analyses of these ideas. I'm happy to, to help bring people together and have this conversation. Um, although I, I might have to stop at the edge of, of volunteering to do any grassroots organizing. Um, but I really hope that folks listening out interested in, in making a reform to the kicker will reach out to OCPP. Well, you know, OCPP.org following in Andrew's shameless plug uh, um, model, uh, please visit OCPP.org, sign up for our stuff, reach out to me, call me, text me, just, you know, talk to your neighbors. I mean, let's start a conversation, right? Let's make this an issue that Oregonians are going to address. Uh, and I think we can do it, right? We can chart a better future for our state. Well, I just, I, well, I just respond to that real quickly. This is Eric Fruits again. I, I think that it might be worthwhile to have discussions about, you know, how to reallocate some of that kicker money. It could be interesting. Uh, the problem is it is constitutional, so it would be, require a big, heavy lift to get something like that on the ballot. But just think about how this is going to play out. Again, I, I think in some cases we're kind of living in a fantasy world because you've got this kicker money, right? It already exists. And you get people in a room and you say, okay, how are we going to divvy it up? I don't know if you've ever seen those old game shows where you step inside a giant snow globe that's filled with money and the contestants try to grab as much as they can within 30 seconds. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about here because it, it's as much as Daniel or I would love to live in this world where we think that people are going to sit down and come up with some sort of great first principles for divvying up the money. In the end, it's just going to be a bunch of uh, grassroots activists, political power players, getting in a room, grabbing as big a share as they can for their own selves and their own constituents. And that's the reality. It's the coyote eating the cat. It is their nature. And we can't change that nature. And that's why the kicker is so great, because it recognizes that nature and puts some guardrails on to try to limit people from uh, causing damage, given the nature they have. Eric, I just have to jump on that, that metaphor because I, I can't help but picture that our current system, right, is we have this globe filled with money and we take the top 1% and let them spend a couple of years and they're grabbing all the money they can. And then the rest of the Oregonians are standing on the outside hoping some like slips out the vent or that, you know. I think like, your analogy is wrong. I think, falls if, out. I think if you look at the, the, 
the businesses and the business owners, they're the ones who are actually filling that, that little snow globe that people are grabbing all the money in. I have a, I have a, a, a follow-up question that sort of takes a different angle on this. Um, I have uh, a personal acquaintance with a, a state representative uh, who often makes the point that uh, that decisions are often made in a hurry because it's a part-time legislature. So as it happens, he doesn't have to uh, spend a lot of time doing something else. But And so he spends pretty much 365 working as a representative. But most human beings have to have another job, and it's uh, to make to pay the bills. And so I'm wondering if you think just putting aside for the moment the implications that both the state revenue forecaster and politicians writ large or small uh, uh, are all kind of venal people, um, do you think it might help, either of you, do you think it might help if we invested in a full-time legislature and somehow managed the information acquisition process a little bit better so they would not be approaching so many decisions kind of on the fly, uh, that they would have more time to do the kind of research that we need them to do so they would not make short-sighted decisions. Because, I mean, the ones that I know are all interested in doing the best thing for the community, but they also have lives to lead and they're only making, what, 30,000 bucks a year or something. They have to do something else. So, I mean, what do you think about increasing the FTE of le legislators. Would, is that a solution to the problem or part of a solution? Either of you or both? Well, I'll chime in. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of uh, on both minds about whether the legislature should be full-time or part-time. I kind of like the part-time aspect to it. Uh, aspect to it. The, the thing is when a legislator complains about their workload or the decisions they have to make, you have to remember that not only did they sign up for that job, they campaigned for that job. They begged for that job. They told people that they could do that job. Their number one job is to craft a budget. Everything else is extra. And when they say that we're too busy doing other things, chasing rainbows instead of crafting a budget, that's not my problem. That's their problem. It is because they did not prioritize their job. They want to go score points by trying to make some group happy, passing some legislation that has nothing that's none of the state's business when they should have been focusing on the, the legislative business of crafting a budget. Why the heck is the education budget always the last budget that's determined? It's because they could put a gun to the head of the voters and say, if we don't get more money, you won't get the education for the, the money for education. Education budget should be done first, get it done with everything else, gets the table scraps. And this is Daniel again. Uh, you know, I think the fact that we have a legislature allocating billions of dollars and they meet, you know, six months, one year, a month, the opposite year. They have a handful of staff at, at best in some cases that are largely underpaid. Um, you know, they're underpaid and have to keep, you know, additional jobs on the side unless they happen to have, you know, either they're independently wealthy or retired or they have a hiring, you know, partner or they're okay, you know, like renting an apartment for the rest of their life because they will never afford a mortgage in most of our state. The fact that we're asking these folks to make such enormous decisions with such huge impacts on our on our lives throughout the state um, and, and paying them so poorly and asking them to do it part-time is, is just kind of, I don't know, it, 
to me, it's it's shocking and, and a little bit embarrassing. I think we could have a much more effective legislative process if we had professional, well-paid, full-time legislature. We had better um, investment in our staffing um, so that we had more staff and we had higher, you know, uh, paid and compensated professional staff. You know, it's interesting because it would actually make lobbyists less effective, right? Because I think that right now legislators have to rely on lobbyists um, more often than not because they don't have the staffing or the capacity to hunt down a lot of the answers themselves, right? They have to lean on what they're hearing from the advocates um, for, you know, Eric and I, right? They have to listen to us uh, instead of instead of others. Um, not that I don't, you know, like that folks listen to us, Eric. So I think to me, having a really strong, you know, full-time, well-paid legislature um, would make our policymaking process much stronger. And, you know, another wrinkle in it that I think is important to note too is I think it would also help us have a more diverse legislature, right? We would see a legislature of folks that are raising small families, right? We would see a legislature of folks that really were representing a broad cross-section of our communities. Whereas right now it's, you know, like I said, it's a lot of folks that you know, have a partner who's a lawyer or something, or they, you know, are independently wealthy and own a business or they're retired, right? I mean, that makes up, I don't know what percentage, but a not insignificant share of our, of our current legislature. Well, I think you could solve both of those problems if you just double the size of the legislature. I think that would solve a lot of problems. It would free up uh, committee work for a lot of legislators. It would uh, bring them closer to the people it would increase diversity in the legislature, not just uh, on race, gender, and dem demographics, but also by party. I say double the size of the legislature. Keep it part-time. Bring them all down there. I would love to have more people representing us uh, because I think that's that's how you really get that, that, that closeness to the people is when you can personally know your legislator, where you bump into them in the coffee shop and you talk to them and, you, and they deal with the same problems you're dealing with. Double the legislature is my new program. Never heard that solution before. Andrew has a question. I wouldn't have guessed that from you, Eric. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm always uh, surprising. <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it's, that's a good thing. Um, my question has to do uh, with the kicker as a one-way ratchet. In other words, if the receipts come in greater than the projection, we get a rebate. But if the inverse happens, if the receipts come in lower than the projection, we don't all of a sudden get a bigger tax bill. And I wouldn't advocate for that necessarily. If the receipts come in lower, that suggests some, some economic hardship. But given that it's a one-way ratchet, is there a way to uh, structure it so that it doesn't continually sort of chip away at state coffers um, and, and, and can be sort of part of a sustainable tax system? Or do we really need to throw you know, uh, and I guess this is a question for you, Dan. Do we really uh, need to sort of throw it out completely and and, and as part of a broader sort of tax uh, uh, revision of, of how we, we uh, secure revenue in the state? Thanks for that question, Andrew. Uh, this is Daniel Hauser again. Um, I'm very flexible on the solution. I mean, I, I really think that there are just so many better ways we can... Uh, you know, spend $1.9 billion than what we have today. I think, you know, the solution to what you're describing is this example of how we don't get the, you know, bottom half taxes don't go up if, if revenues are underestimated. Um, you know, it, it really is just saving it, right? I mean, I think that's the classic kind of Keynesian, you know, uh, ebb and flow, right? Is when things are great, save it. When things are bad, spend it. 
And I think that that would be a reasonable solution for the kicker, right? Is to just tuck those dollars away for a rainy day. They can't be budgeted, right? They won't be spent to, you know, grow the, the, they won't be spent to double our legislature or anything like that. Um, they'll be tucked away for when they're needed next. Um, but I do think that we really, you know, can, can come up with a way that we all agree would be a much better use for the kicker. And I think saving it's just one of those, of those excellent options. And, and I, I want to take a small issue with your idea that it's a one-way ratchet. Uh, I mean, sure, technically it is, but if you go back over the history of the past, I guess since the the kicker, it, there's been this history that whenever the economy downturns, Oregon seems to be really good at finding ways to increase taxes, right? We had measures 66 and 67. During the Great Recession, we had huge increases, not just on health insurance, but uh, health care providers. Measure 97 was born out of that, only it didn't make it onto the ballot till years later. It seems like every time the economy turns down, the legislature always says, oh, gee, everything's terrible. We, and we need your money more than you need your money. Let's go raise taxes. It, I, I, I think what, what you call a ratchet just doesn't exist. Thank you. And I'll just say, you know, to add on to that, Eric, I think that isn't it great? Right. Isn't it great that Oregonians in a time of crisis, in a recession, respond by coming together and asking more for those things? Right. I mean, measure 66 and 67, like you mentioned, targeted high income earners and profitable businesses. Right. I think that was the right response. And it was, you know, wonderful that Oregonians stepped up. And I wish we didn't have to pass ballot measures every time there's a recession to save our schools and to save basic services. Right. I wish we had a pot of billions of dollars that had been collecting thanks to this kicker dollars, you know, being redistributed into it. And it's true, right, that Oregon has done a better job of saving for a rainy day. Um, but I'm not sure the state economists would agree or any of us would agree that the pot we have currently in our rainy day fund would be adequate to survive a recession as deep as the Great Recession was. And so I think, you know, we can do better. Um, but I think it's also lovely that Oregonians have chosen to come together in times of crisis to really try and do something for our communities. So the, the question on that is, you know, the legislature has enormous power on budgeting. How come they don't create the rainy day fund? I mean, they have created some in the past, but it, it sounds like it's not as big as Daniel would like. How come they aren't creating one as big as you'd like? Why? Because they hate doing it. They hate seeing any money go on spend. Having money just sit in a rainy day fund that you have to open the door and stare at and know you can't touch, it drives the government class crazy because that's money they could be spending. And so I have, I love the idea of a rainy day fund. The thing is they can do it right now. They have the power to do it. They just don't, which tells me something about the nature of the beast. So I have a question. Uh, so consider me pretty much ignorant on the whole economic front, but I'm, I'm, the question is about the 2% um, limit. If, so if we get past 2%, 2.1%, all the money gets refunded. Could we not more simply just say anything above the 2% gets refunded? What You mentioned this earlier, but I didn't quite get the point. So what is the obstacle, assuming you could make the constitutional change, what is the objection, the substantive objection to just keeping up to the 2% and returning the rest of it? Well, I, you know, I, I'm really, I don't care if it's 2%. I don't care if it's 5%. I like the very existence of the ticker of the kicker, but you know, just 
politically and strategically thinking, if you're going to do something to change the Constitution, my guess is that anyone who's doing that is going to have the attitude of go big or go home. You're not going to go out there and try to fight for a bunch of signatures just to change it from the 2% to anything above the 2%. You know, why do that? Why not, you know, go for it all? And that's, you know, that's why I'm, I'm not too confident that it'll ever happen. Mary, I, you know, I actually do tend to agree with Eric on this. I think if we're going to go to the effort of having a constitutional amendment, then we should do something more ambitious and more audacious and more helpful for the people. In our community. Um, but I do think, I mean, there's a whole vein of reforms that I didn't mention, which are these like technical corrections to the, right? I think adjusting it from 2% to 5% or 8% or something would be one of those options. Um, I think making it to where it's only the amount over the threshold, like you mentioned. So if it's 2.5%, it's only 0.5% that gets kicked back, not the whole 2.5%. I think other options could be, you know, you could pull out some of the extremely volatile revenue sources that are really impossible to forecast, like the estate tax, right, or capital gains even, and make it just about, you know, there's more consistent incomes like wages and retirements and things like that. Um, you know, there's, there's really a, a ton of these technical options. The question often gets back to the political one, right, is like, are Oregonians going to understand it and believe you, right? I mean, and that's why I often really think about things like investing in our communities or giving it back to Oregonians differently. Is like, let's put those protections in the constitution. I think the Oregonian, or I think Oregonians broadly are more likely to believe we have their interests in mind. If we're going to put forward a reform of the kicker that says, you know, every Oregonian is going to get the same kicker, right? That'd be what, 800, something like that, thousand dollars. I don't know what it is for this upcoming kicker. Everyone gets that amount, right? Phil Knight gets that amount. Someone who, you know, gets the earned income tax credit, who's a, you know, a working family that's very low income, they get the same amount, right? Um, that would be one way that we would continue to enshrine that in the Constitution. And it would be easy for Oregonians to understand. So certainly open, like if, if folks, you know, want to galvanize a campaign to make a technical correction to the kicker, I would love to be a part of that. But I, I tend to think that we might be able to do even better and that Oregonians will agree with these more ambitious and equitable solutions. Yeah, I, I, I'm pausing because I, in some ways, I agree with, with Daniel. I, I think one of the, I know my my friends on the right are going to be upset with me, but you know, I think that's one of the big problems with having, uh, you know, detailed policy issues enshrined in the Constitution. I, I think that the Constitution should be a very limited document in scope and in things. Uh, I love that the kicker's in the Constitution on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, there's something philosophically that I think is wrong about that that we shouldn't have such nitty gritty details enshrined in the constitution because it makes it harder to to tweak them and adjust them um in the face of changing times uh you know even doing a minor tweak to the kicker is going to require a constitutional amendment and i think that's you know that's um in some ways that, that's just fundamentally wrong i think that that's a fundamental problem that we have with the way our government is structured so i have another question um uh, and it might be Margaret wants to chime in on this, but I noticed in the beginning, um, you, uh, Eric, mentioned something about uh, incentives to predict accurately. So that, and everything you've said so far indicates that making the forecast uh, is of just a wee bit short of actually being magic. Um, even though, so, so I wonder. Um, since you characterized it, Eric, as a, a need for an incentive to get it right, what anybody thinks that, it, you know, the incentive might be, and uh, in addition to the incentive, 
what could be done to get it more accurate, to, to hold people accountable? Yeah, well, let's think of it this way. Let's think if there wasn't a kicker. If there's no kicker, then there's very few consequences for getting a budget forecast wrong. It's it's just a number, right? Uh, you know, it's it's a guideline on how much money we have. And the thing is, is if that number is is wrong in the sense that it expects more money than it actually comes in, the legislature gets really, really mad uh, because they now they don't have enough money to play with. Um, and if you guess it too high, the legislature doesn't really care. It's like they've got a bunch of funny money to play with and oops, we got it wrong, too bad, so sad, no big deal. Now you have a consequence for getting it wrong if you guess too, if you guess too low because then you have to refund the money to the taxpayers. So they have a real incentive to get it right because they want to avoid paying the kicker as much as anyone else, as much as the legislature does. Uh, and also, they, they want to avoid the, the, the being taken to the woodshed by the legislatures if they guess wrong on the other side. That has aligned the incentives so that as imperfect as the state's economists are, and I actually know them personally, they're nice people, they're smart people, they're good people, uh, they are trying to get it right, they will still get it wrong. Um, but they will at least have an incentive to try to get it right as much as possible, which is more than I could say for... Um, you know, a lot of people in a lot of their in, in their everyday lives. I I have to say that I just think you're completely um, not appreciating that these are uh, terrific public servants for the most part, and they understand what their revenue forecast does. It it goes to the legislature for major decisions about how we spend our money, how we invest in people. They want to get it right, and I I think the that the, they have plenty of incentives to get it right without the kicker. And, this and is, it's impossible to get it right. <laughs> Furthermore, as Danielle has pointed out, and uh, and as history has shown, you just can't guess 24 months in advance uh, on a ship which way you know exactly it's going to turn, especially the turning points. It's impossible. Uh, Daniel can have one more comment. We're we're short of time. Yeah, and and thank you for that question, and and Margaret, thanks for you know having my answer uh, ready to go. I mean, I, I do think it's absolutely true that the state economists are professionals that want to do their job, right? They want to hit it right on the head. And they have incentives and disincentives, um, you know, going in every direction, right? If they fail, um, you know, if there's no kicker, right, in this hypothetical, and uh, they overshoot or they, you know, undershoot what the revenues are actually raised, and there's hundreds of millions of dollars now that are available, you know, I think Oregonians would like to see those dollars put to good use, right? Those are taxes that they owe to fund the common good. I think you know, that legislators will be responsive to their constituents saying, you know, why didn't you invest in my community? Why didn't you, you know, help offset the cost of childcare for folks that are struggling to survive when you had these extra dollars? And so I think that there's, there's definitely a case that, that um, Oregonians and state economists have incentives for that. So I'll just end by saying, you know, the three things I started with, right? The kicker's broken. Um, the kicker is sending more money to the rich than the poor, and we can fix that together as a community, um, and we can find a better solution for our state. I want to thank you both uh, for your participation in this panel. I, I've really learned a lot. Daniel uh, Hauser from Oregon Center for Public Policy and Eric Fruits from the Cascade Policy Institute. I appreciate the civility of your conversation. Uh, I love that you occasionally agreed with each other right on air. Uh, and thank you, Margaret Halleck, for contributing to the substance of it. Uh, 
we, we uh, look forward to hearing more about the subject. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been our October 1st, 2021 program. Oregon's excess revenue, refund or invest. Before we proceed, I'd like to thank or recognize our diamond sponsors. Kaiser Permanente exists to provide high quality, affordable health care services and to improve the health of our members and community we serve. More information at www.kp.org. Support comes in from the University of Oregon. Since 1876, U of O has helped Oregonians question critically, think logically, reason effectively, communicate clearly, act creatively, and live ethically. More information at uoregon.edu. And Peace Health is proud to serve Eugene, Lane County, and beyond. As your hometown healthcare partner for more than 80 years, our mission is to keep you and your family healthy. Learn more at peacehealth.org. And Lane Community College transforms lives through learning. LCC provides comprehensive, accessible, high-quality educational opportunities that promote student success. For more information, visit lanecc.edu. I would also like to acknowledge our Sapphire sponsor, Summit Bank. Support for the City Club comes from Summit Bank, your local community bank, an independent community bank headquartered in Eugene. Summit Bank serves businesses and professionals in Eugene, Springfield, and Central Oregon communities. For more information, visit sbko.bank. And our gold sponsors, Emergency Veterinary Hospital, Sacred Earth Botanicals, and Network Charter Schools. I have a few quick announcements. That is, thank you to our in-kind sponsors, KRVM 91.9 Radio, Pack Info and Simplified Computing, LLC, Dot Dotson's Photography. And a special thank you to public radio station KLCCFM 89.7 for airing City Club programs on Mondays at 7. Our programs are always available on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page. If you are a City Club member, you're invited to ask a question at a future taping of our program. If you're not yet a member, you can join and then participate. More information is on our website, cityclubofugene.org. In our next program, two experts will discuss the Modoc War, a conflict between the U.S. government and the Modoc people, the aftermath of great loss. The Modoc people persevere. Please join us again on October 1st. More details and information about future programs can be found online at the City Club's website, cityclubofugene.org. Now, I want to thank today's speakers for a great program. Thank you so much, Eric Fruits and Daniel Hauser for joining us. This it concludes today's program. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week.